listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. If you're like me, you've been looking forward to Christmas Illuminated um, to culminate the end of what has been an amazing year. And so it's kind of our tradition here at the living room to end the semester, uh, trying to help usher you guys into the Christmas spirit. And why wouldn't we? Because Christmas is amazing. Anybody that, that would say Christmas is your favorite holiday? Anybody? Any favorite holiday? Yes. Here's the deal. Mine too. Um, but I got to admit, it wasn't always that way. Actually, growing up, my favorite holiday was, was Halloween. Okay. So obviously, as a young boy, who wouldn't love going door to door with a pillowcase? getting tons of candy, all right? So I loved it, but at some point in middle school, Halloween went to number two, Christmas went to number one, because it's amazing. And I love so many things about Christmas. I love that it's fun. I love that it's crazy. I love that there are silly Christmas games, all right? Things to do, you know, Christmas parties. There's presents to give, presents to receive, all right? Uh, Christmas movies, all right? Um, some of my favorites, Elf, no-brainer, great one, right? Um, huge fan of Home Alone. Uh, I probably know way too many words and lines of Christmas Vacation. It's true. Um, and here's one other movie that I like um, that's a Christmas movie. It doesn't get a lot of press. Um, doesn't get a lot of press. But uh, anybody familiar with a, a certain Christmas rom-com um, that's, that's really good? Anybody? The Holiday. That's right, The Holiday. Any Holiday fans out there? Yes. Okay. Now, just a, this is a little pro tip. A pro tip to any, any, guy, any guy in here that's maybe, maybe you're dating somebody. And um, if you're looking to kind of earn some brownie points, you need to watch The Holiday over the break, okay? Um, just, anyways, love Christmas movies. Christmas is a blast. It's so fun. But here's the thing. As I get older, um, I start to see Christmas as, it's, it's this beautiful holiday. Christmas is beautiful. In fact, it's, I think it's really pretty. You got, you got these amazing lights, this phenomenal ambiance. It's pretty. You got this green garland at times that's, that's hanging and draping over like a wooden mantle. To me, that's pretty to look at, right above this phenomenal fire. I mean, there's so many things about Christmas that's pretty, and I, I don't think many people would argue with that. But here's the deal. Christmas is pretty, but life isn't pretty at times. Yeah, Christmas is pretty, but life is pretty messy. And I think if we're all honest, uh, we have messes going on inside of us and around us pretty consistently, right? I mean, life doesn't get less messy just because Christmas shows up. Life doesn't get less challenging or, or, or less complicated when the tree goes up and, and the stockings you know, go up. Life continues to be messy. And if you're like me, you're having to navigate these types of messes that are in your world. For some of you tonight, you showed up and maybe your mess is family drama. And when you were home for Thanksgiving and it was just, it was super hard. Maybe you have some interesting cray-cray relatives and the relationships that you have, you just, maybe you come to blows at times. Maybe you feel um, put down by a family member. Maybe you don't feel like you'll ever add up uh, or be enough in your dad's eyes. Whatever it is, you have family drama. And that's the story of my life. My parents got divorced when I was seven. 
And the drama has continued. My parents do not like each other. That's an understatement. They don't even really want to be in the same zip code. When we go home, Ellen and I and the boys, um, it's always dramatic, okay? We have to navigate this fact that they got a divorce when I was seven, and then we're like, all right, so do we spend like four hours at my dad's and, and also exactly four hours at my mom? What, what if we spend five hours at my dad's and four hours at my mom? Is my mom going to fly off the rail? Like, that's how crazy it gets. And I know some of your stories, that's some of the mess that you're navigating. It's just some family drama. And maybe for some of you, uh, the mess that's going on in your world is you have a close friend uh, maybe, maybe it is a significant family member um, who is struggling with some type of sickness, some type of illness, and you can't stand to watch them just navigate it because it doesn't seem to be going away. And maybe you're that person. Maybe, maybe you have some type of a physical ailment or disease that you, you, you've got this just physical thing happening to you, this mental thing happening to you, and the, the more that you try to figure it out from doctors, you can't really get any help, and you just you really don't know what to do with it. And so it's, life is messy for you just because it's like, it doesn't make sense. And for some of you, the mess might be that even though you're amongst a sea of people, and maybe you, you, uh, you know, you, you're around kind of the, the college age adults in your world, and, and maybe you're around a lot of people at work, and maybe you're a lot of, around a lot of people that you live with or in class with, but yet you feel so lonely, and you're having to figure that out. Why, why do I feel lonely? Even though if people would ask, oh, you have so many friends, but maybe for you, that's your mess. Or maybe for some of you, you walked in tonight, and you have the mess of, of just feeling so much shame or so much guilt that's tethered to a decision that you absolutely regret. That you, you've done something, you've said something, you've done something to someone that if, if anyone really found out, you, you would be mortified. Some of you have secrets that you want to go to the grave with because it's so embarrassing, it's so horrible in your mind that you don't want anyone to know about. And so maybe your mess is just, just carrying that shame. And maybe it's tethered to, to the sin in your life that you just, you just keep coming back to, that there's certain sins that's going on that, that haunt you and taunt you, and you just can't seem to shake it. So Christmas, it is pretty, and life is messy, and what do we do with that? How do we reconcile that, that juxtaposition of life? Is, I mean, Christmas is, is so pretty and it seems to be put together, but my life is not that way. How does Christmas even fit in? Well, um, Christmas might be pretty now, uh, but it certainly wasn't the case for the very first Christmas some 2,000 plus years ago. Certainly wasn't the case um, then, and uh, here's the deal. I think at times we have uh, just romanticized the first Christmas uh, through these cute uh, totes, adorbs, nativity scenes that look so pretty, kind of like scenes like this. You know, that's, that's a willow tree. It's fantastic. We even have one of those in our house. But you'll see these nativity scenes, you know, at a house, on a coffee table, on a mantle, uh, maybe out in the yard. They sell them at Costco. They're so pretty. But here's the deal, the very first Christmas was so far from pretty, and it was extremely messy. And I want to take us back there just for a little bit, all right? 
So if you remember, there's, there's this girl, Mary. So Mary is on the scene. Mary is this teenage girl who's engaged and dreaming and scheming about what on earth her engagement is gonna look like, what the wedding day is gonna be looking like. And then all of a sudden, an angel visits Mary. You remember the story? And it's like, hey, Mary, here's the deal. Uh, you're pregnant with a boy. And by the way, in case you don't know, Mary is a virgin. So this gets pretty awkward in a hurry. And I don't know if you could just imagine it and how, how messy that is and how not normal that is. Because I would imagine that she now has to deal with this scarlet letter on her life and the people that are pointing fingers and talking about her behind her back because she's trying to convince people of the, this story in this way, this happened, it's true. But so many people didn't believe her, which makes sense because if you had a friend, I mean, think about it. If you had a friend that came up to you, pregnant, showing a little bit, as Mary would show a little bit, and it was like, yeah, yeah, here, here's the deal. Um, I am pregnant, uh, not married, and, um, but, you know, like, I didn't get pregnant the old-fashioned way. Uh, no, anyways, this angel made me pregnant, the spirit, kind of whatever. You would be like, yeah, okay, no. Right? You wouldn't believe her just like so many people didn't believe her. No, she's not a virgin anymore. Are you kidding me? She's trying to convince us that she didn't make any mistakes? Yeah, right. Such a messy situation that she had to navigate. I can't imagine the discouragement, the fear, the anxiety that she must have dealt with. And then we have Joseph, her fiance, who, who obviously finds out about this and is like, what? What is going on? Did you cheat on me behind my back? Joseph, I would imagine, you know, would say, hey, Mary, you, you never lied to me before, but this seems to be ridiculous. And so he's got to think, what, what am I supposed to do? I, I know we're teenagers and I had my eyes set on this wedding day, but now this is a massive change of plans. What am I to do? Sh sh should I leave her? Um, should I keep staying with her? I don't know. What, what is going on? And so here we have two teenagers, one now pregnant who's a virgin, Two teenagers who are now outcasted. Two teenagers who now their reputations are ruined. And Mary and Joseph, you know, any thought of their wedding day and what it was going to look like is just wrecked. And so again, it's, it's messy. But part of the good news is, is the angel appears to Joseph and basically tells him, hey, she's telling the truth. This is right. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he believes, he gets on board. He's like, all right, Mary, let's, let's do this. I, I believe. Um, and so they get married. And so you're thinking, okay, cool. Well, hey, some non-messiness. Well, here's the crazy thing. They get married and then there is a census that happens in the land where Caesar Augustus is like, all right, hey, here's the deal. It's time for a census. I need to check the population of this area. And when they had a census, what happened is you had to go back to the husband's hometown. And so Joseph, they were in Nazareth at the time, they had to go back to Bethlehem. Now we're told that, that Mary is pretty super stinking pregnant, all right? And they've got to return to Bethlehem, which is about 100 miles. Think about it. Nine months pregnant, 
100 mile, eight to 10 day journey by foot or donkey, that is ridiculous. My, my bride, Ellen, um, I, I've never been pregnant, okay? Um, she has been a couple of times. And when Ellen was nine months pregnant, are you kidding me? She didn't want to travel that far. She didn't even want to go from the kitchen to the living room. Like when you're that pregnant, you're like, That's, this is the last thing I want to do. And so here you have it, these, these two teenagers, they think their life is going one way and then all of a sudden things change and, and now they're having to go back to where he's from, to this massive journey. And so they get there. We know part of that story, obviously. And then the birth happens, right? The birth happens in Bethlehem. And we don't know all of the specific timing details, but we do know the fact that at some point short after their arrival, Mary had to give birth. And if you're familiar with the story, they go and try to find a room where? In the end, good job, gold star, red check mark. Um, yes, but as we know, they didn't have, they didn't have a room. There is nowhere for them to go. Now, here's the deal. Chances are you've heard this story before. All of this is reviewed for you, but I want you to see it through their eyes. They're showing up after this eight to 10 day journey, nine months pregnant. All you wanna do is probably put your feet up, take a rest and deliver your baby in some sanitized way in some safe and protected environment. And they found out, uh, no, they don't have a place. They are utterly homeless. Two teenagers just married. One is about to pop and they are homeless. That, my friends, is messy. But Mary does give birth. Um, Jesus was born, the Savior did come, and he was placed in a manger. All right? Now, here's the deal I don't know what you think about when you think about manger. Um, it was not a first century crib. A manger is actually where they put the feed, the food for the livestock. So the God of the universe coming as a baby in flesh is not born at a Ritz Carlton. It's not placed on a bassinet from Pottery Barn. He is put in a manger where, where animals would eat out of. That is hideous. And here's the thing, placed in a manger, all of this happening in a barn. And I know some of you, you, you again, you, you think it's so cute when you see the pictures and you see the nativity and you're like, oh, the barn, that must've been so kind of cute. I mean, some of you are a huge fan of animals and you're like, oh, oh, that must've been adorable. I love little tiny sheep. Um, it would have been amazing. I mean, it was in a barn. Surely Chip and Joanna Gaines helped dress it up. And you know the wise man did some shiplap, you know, like, no, it was a barn. And it was dirty and it was smelly. In fact, I want you to turn to somebody right next to you and I want you to say, it stank. It stank. One of the many jobs that I had when I was in college, especially during the summers, there's one uh, friend of mine named Scout whose parents had a farm. And one of my jobs is I had to clean out the horse stalls every single week. And trust me when I say the amount of dry heaving that I was doing because of the odor was ridiculous. You know how many times I found um, presents from animals, the number one and the number two presents 
from horses in the hay, too many to count. Now here's the deal. The reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to, I want you to put yourself there. And the sights and the sounds and the smells in that barn. And here's the deal. I hate to ruin it for you. But it has to be true that animals were going to the bathroom at some point before Jesus was born. Animals were going to the bathroom at some point when Jesus was born. Animals were going to the bathroom at some point after he was born. It was messy. It was disgusting. But Jesus is born. And you think there's just a reprieve. You think we're going to get back to just pretty and calm. Not the case, because then they have to escape to Egypt. Because um, here's the deal, there's King Herod is happening, Um, King Herod is the leader of Judea, and basically he hears about the birth of Jesus, and um, Jesus is being uh, said to be the king of the Jews, and so he's intimidated, and he doesn't want that, he doesn't want anybody else worshiping anybody else, and so he's like, you know what, this can't happen, I'm going to kill him. And so Mary and Joseph, um, they hear about this, and you gotta, you got to think. Like, think about their story, y'all. Think about that they started off as two teenagers, thinking it was going to end some way. She gets pregnant, by the way, when she was a virgin, okay? Angels are appearing to them. How bizarre is that? Then they have to travel the way that they traveled. They have to give birth the way that they give birth. And just when you think you're just gonna love on your sweet boy, you hear the fact that somebody wants to kill your new child. That is messy. But by God's grace, the actual, the angel uh, told Joseph, hey, here's the deal. I'm gonna let you know of what King Herod is thinking about. So we're gonna make a way for you to go to Egypt. So here's what you need to do. Get your family, head to Egypt. You'll dodge the bullet and you'll stay in Egypt until Herod dies. Here's the crazy thing. Egypt from Bethlehem, 400 miles. No Teslas. Just feet, donkey, whatever. Newborn baby. They escaped to Egypt. And as you know the story, obviously Jesus didn't get killed. But I will tell you, part of the first Christmas, there were killings. Because King Herod hears the fact that, oh, oh, they have escaped. And so he wants to make sure to try to figure out a way out of, out of anger, out of contempt. He's got to figure out a way to try to kill Jesus. And so he puts out a decree. And some of you know this. He puts out a decree that in all of Bethlehem, if there are two-year-old or less aged boys, they need to be put to death. Hey, we can't figure out exactly when he was born to the minute. We can't position exactly where he was born. So let's be general. Hey, everybody, if you know a two-year-old or younger in Bethlehem, they need to be killed. I mean, that is wild. Was it a silent night? I mean, maybe for a minute. Was it a holy night? Yes, no, all is calm? I I don't think so. I don't think so. The first Christmas was messy. It was scary. It was drama-filled. And the gamut of emotions was felt by every single person involved. It wasn't this pretty scene we so dramatize in the nativity sets that we see on our mantles. But... 
Here's the good news. Every single year, we get to celebrate Christmas. Every single year, we get to commemorate this mess because out of this mess came a miracle. Out of this mess became a miracle because in the middle of this mess, there was a miracle and this miracle had a name, Jesus. Or as the angel would say to Joseph, this right here. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, everybody say this with me, God with us. God with us. God the Son sent from heaven, took on human flesh. And that miracle is some of the most incredible news that we can honestly still not fully process and understand the fact that God in the flesh was born and lived a life. He grew up lived a selfless life, lived a blameless life, lived a sinless life. Not without, you know, he didn't live without struggle. He didn't live without heartache. He didn't live without feeling forsaken. He ran through all the emotions as well. But he lived his life to die for the sins of the world. And this miracle, Emmanuel, brought hope and peace and joy and light and life and salvation. You see, Jesus was born into a mess that first Christmas, but the miracle overshadows the mess. The miracle trumps the mess. The miracle redeems the mess. And I think that wasn't just the case 2,000 plus years ago. I think that is still the case today. And I want everybody in this room to know that in this Christmas, the miracle God with us, that Jesus is entering into and wants to enter into our mess. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not intimidated by your mess. He's not intimidated by the messes that's going on with you relationally or within your family or within your dorm rooms. He's not intimidated by the mess going on in your mind, the things that you carry on to, the shame and the guilt. He's not intimidated by that. God is not intimidated by the things that you would label as sins or imperfections in your world that are so bad, that are so deep, that have been tying the shoes of your life together for so long. He's not intimidated by that at all. He's not afraid of your mess. He came for your mess. He died for your mess and for mine. You see, in the middle of this mess, in the middle of our mess, there is a miracle of hope and peace and joy and light and life and forgiveness and salvation. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In the middle of your mess, and I want you to think about it, what is that mess going on within you right now? Your heart, your life, your world. In the middle of your mess, you can hold on to hope. Why? Because God with us. In the middle of your mess, you can have peace. Why? Because God with us. In the middle of your mess, you can find joy because God with us. In the midst of your darkness, there's light because God with us. And in the midst of your, of your sinfulness, of the things and the decisions that you know have missed the mark of God's best, there's forgiveness because God with us. In our mess, God with us, and your mess, God with you, and in my mess, God with me. 
Jesus came for me and he came for you. And Christmas is just about that. Christmas is about God coming to the world. Christmas is about God moving towards our mess. Jesus making his way into humanity. And there's nothing that will get in the way. Not even our sin because our sin and guilt, he took it to the cross to forever shatter any barrier or obstacle between us and our relationship with the Heavenly Father. In just a second, we're, we're going to do something um, with our candles. I'll explain that soon. But here's the thing. I would imagine that there's some of you in this room that you've been carrying and holding on to all sorts of messes in your life, in your heart, in your world, and you don't know what to do with it. I would imagine that there's some of you in this room that maybe for the first time uh, you're just like, ah, I, you know, um, I, I'm familiar with the Christmas story, but, but I didn't really know all of that. Maybe for some of you in this room, honestly, you, you're kind of faking it until you make it. You're just trying to get through week after week, but you know, deep down, there's something that is a disconnect in your heart and your mind, and you don't know where to put or how to put your finger on it. For some of you in the room, you've never placed your face in Jesus. For some of you, you you've never understood um, who he is and what he's done on your behalf. You've never understood why we sing about him, uh, why we make such a big deal about Jesus. And for some of you in the room, maybe you wouldn't say that you're a Jesus follower. And so tonight, I wanna give you the opportunity to place your face in Jesus. I wanna be bold and ask for you to be bold to give God your mess. Because I know that some of you, because I was this exact same way at your exact same age, that I spent a lot of my time walking around thinking I had messed up my life and there might not be a return, there might not be a way out. And I would just wanna invite you to bring that thought, that mindset, your mess, to Jesus. I want you to give him your mess. I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus. Because for me and for so many in this room, they would say, Jesus is so worth following. 